So let me just find out. It's uh, 12 hours, right? That's when we end. Eh? I, I don't want to wrongfully blame the Holy Spirit. After. 12 hours. Okay, great. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 11. I'll begin reading at verse 11. Then we'll read the next two verses. Colossians 2 and verse 11 is what it says. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the, and the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and circumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's a passage of our consideration, 12 and 13, but I thought I'd read uh, verse 11 as well. You know, at times when we, we see people that baptize infants, babies, or those that sprinkle, we don't care much to know why they do that. We almost assume they don't know what they're doing. They are completely off. Uh, we are so careful not to listen to why they end up in that direction. The passage before us gives us a hint of the relationship between circumcision and baptism. And so even when we don't end up in the same places as those brethren do, we know at least from where they're coming from. There, there are many forms of baptism. Uh, one of it is um, standing under a flag. I'm still trying to process what that means. You just come stand in a the flag, then you are received in that congregation. This passage that we're looking at brings to light a number of issues that are related. And so we're going to look today and discuss our union with Christ described. There at Calvary, many things happen. What we see is not necessarily everything that happened. The, the physical side of the cross, uh, the blood, the, the injuring of Christ, and his subsequent death is not the only thing that's happening at Calvary. This passage is going to help us uh, just see how that in that death of Christ, we were actually united with him. And uh, that's something that we can't fully understand, but something that is as real as can be. This passage, uh, though two verses, it's interrelated even with the earlier verses that have gone, as well as the last uh, verses that will come after this. The first thing I want us to observe is uh, united in his death and resurrection, putting away our sinful nature. You know, there at Calvary, when Christ died, when we believe that Christ died for us, there's still one more thing that we need to take account for. That's our sinful nature. Imagine if we had just believed in Christ and it ended there, we'd still have the problem of the sinful nature not having been dealt with. 
So it's possible to believe in Christ, it's possible to have your sins forgiven, but then what happens to your sinful nature? Verse 12 says, having, that's a passport there, having been buried with him in baptism, you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Circumcision, as the earlier verses I've, I've talked about in verse 11, has to do with the spiritual reality, not necessarily what we see in the Old Testament where it pictured belonging to the nation of Israel as a people of God. This circumcision now pictures us belonging to Christ. In fact, the physical circumcision is actually a picture of the reality, which is the spiritual circumcision. So we see the first thing under verse 12 is that verse 12 happens to facilitate what preceded us in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, um, Verse 11 said, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There, that, that term, made without hands, is already bringing God into the element, that God is the one that did this circumcision. He made this operation of circumcision upon us in Christ. So the first thing we see there is that in the union of us in his death and his resurrection, the first thing that, that, that Christ took care of is the sinful nature that we all carry. This is not to say that our sinful nature has been done away with. We still carry that until that final day when, uh, like John says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Before that, we still carry that with ourselves. That's, that's the explanation why Christians still sin, but Christians don't live in sin, at least not continually if you are truly saved. So Christ carried this sinful nature on him. You know, in the, in the Bible it says that sin was laid upon Christ there as he's dying. Again, that's something we can't fully understand. What is sin? How can it be placed on Christ? That's something that Christ took upon himself. So there's some legal language that Paul uses here, that legally Christ there on the cross, though not being a sinner, died carrying our sins. And so when we believe, when we get joined to that death, even our sinful nature is also wrestled and put to the grave, never again to kill us. So Christ died, dying for our sins, there we ourselves are also dying with Christ. Our sinful nature is being put to death in Christ. The sinful nature can only kill us once, and it already did for those that are Christians. If you're not a Christian, that death is still coming. That sinful nature will finally put you to death, and eternally so. Separated from God, and eternally cursed with those that will be placed in hell. The, the parties for having is very important. God is not like us, who after we have built a house, then we're thinking, oh, we've forgotten another window. And we do what? We, we cut the walls and just try and fit in a window. Now, if you've done that, it's not that I've visited your place. I'm just, I know how human beings behave, right? 
things that are afterthought, not so with God. God took care of one thing, having considered all the aspects of salvation. He, he knew that these people that he's dying for still carry the sinful nature, and he took care of that. So he says in verse uh, 12, he says, having, that's a participle, for being buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. If you can notice with me that there in Colossians uh, 2 verse 12, there's no mention of water. We're not dealing with water baptism here. Same as Romans 6, there too, it's a dry baptism. It's a baptism that is uh, talking about how we were immersed together in the death of Christ. Now there, this way it becomes a little bit mysterious. Christ died about AD 30, many years ago, thousands of years ago, before we even came on this planet. But yet God in his precision took care of that. That death of Christ, though many centuries uh, separated from us, still has ongoing implications to this day. So that anybody, even in this congregation, who believes in Christ can have themselves joined to the death of Christ and also to the resurrection of Christ as he went and ascended and is in heaven. Look at verse 12, the, the last part of it says this. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful workings of God. Other versions just say in the workings of God. And here we see that this happened to facilitate the sinful nature so that it's put away as Christ carried it. Christ was circumcised in that sense in death, carrying together our sinful nature as well. You see, if it was just about dying for us, we would still remain with this hanging problem of sin dominated uh, our lives. That's the difference between a non-Christian and one who is a Christian. A Christian is one whose sinful nature has been disassociated in terms of its power and influence over the Christian life. Now, you might be thinking, that doesn't seem true. The sinful nature is always as active as can be. Yes, it's a powerful dying horse. The sinful nature is there, like Paul says, when it comes up, put it to death. Have no mercy upon your sinful nature. Ensure that all the conditions that you're putting up are setting it to die. Don't be feeding the sinful nature. Don't, don't pet it. It's, it's, it's something that needs to remain dead. The second aspect that we see in verse 12 is that we are joined through faith in what happened at Calvary. There at Calvary, as we read about it, all the drama that is happening leading up to Christ being crucified there between two thieves is actually more, more comprehensive than we are seeing by sight. Because there at the cross, like I've already hinted, he's bearing the sins of all those that will believe in him. So that when we believe in him, the wrath of God is already taken care of because it, it fell on Christ in whom we ourselves have been joined. You see, at Calvary, one of the things that we don't realize is that it's not just human activities that happen. It's not just people that are taking Christ and taking advantage of the Son of God. 
In Acts chapter 4, as they are praying to God, one of the things that comes out in their prayers is that they gathered today against your holy servant Jesus to do what your hand had predestined to take place. Now that's life. Everything that happens in life is not outside the hand and working of God, including Calvary itself. So Calvary, in as much as the disciples are getting discouraged, our Savior is finally killed. And some of them end up retreating and going to fish. They don't realize, they don't get it yet, that Christ is dying because God is doing what? Is involved in Christ dying. That's not to say that they are not culpable. They are just as guilty because it says that he who uh, betrays the Son of God is actually one who's worse and shouldn't have been born in the case of Judas. So there's some guilt involved there, but Christ is dying just in line with the, the calendar of God. He himself says in the Gospel of John, he says, nobody can take my life from me. That's how powerful Christ is. Even the entire Roman army couldn't take his life. Let me tell you this. There at the cross, Christ allowed to be crucified. His death. In fact, when they come, it's he, look at how he dies. It's not like us. We're still hanging on to that mass. It's not like us. Christ is dying and he says, Father, into your hands I do it. I give my spirit. While you and me are kicking, resisting to go to heaven. But, but we, we, we on the other side say heaven is a beautiful place, right? Here we are at Kilo Teaching Hospital, kicking around, trying to hang on to life. Christ says what? Father, into your hands I do it. Commit my spirit. He is in as much control as, he, as, as, as ever. Even when he's dying, they're at the cross. It's not the nails that are holding him. In fact, knowing what the scriptures teaches about Christ, the most dangerous, powerful human being, there at Calvary was Christ. By his power alone, everybody there can be, I don't know how to describe it, they can be undone, even by a whisper from him. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I take it, I lay it aside, and I take it back. Now, if, you, if you're really following the logic of that, that's, that doesn't make sense, doesn't fit in our mind. How do you die and take your life again? In this passage, we're told that God raised him from the dead. Romans 8 tells us how that the Spirit of God raised him from the dead. In John we read that he himself does what? He's dead but he's taking his life. Try and understand that and still remain sane. We, we get joined to an event that happened thousands of years ago through faith. Now this event has already happened. How is it that it can have impact even thousands of years later on? It's like we sing that song, the power of the blood of Christ shall lose its power till all the ransomed church of God do it, are saved to sin no more. That's the power of God. And when we believe in that, we are somehow joined mystically to the death of Christ. There we have died. That's how come if you're a Christian living in sin is not for you. It's not your portion, right? Like, like they say, it's not your portion. If you're living in sin, 
Paul tells us, how can we that have died in Christ live any longer in what? In sin. How can we do that? John again tells us that we say we don't have sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 tells us that if we, deny, if we say that, we make God a liar and the truth is not in us. The truth of the gospel is not in us. Verse 12 talks about how that we get united through faith in the workings of God. So we look at Calvary with that perspective that God is at work. That's where we place our faith in and have uh, ourselves get saved. Are you here today and maybe you're not a Christian, you're wondering, you're kicking around with keeping the commandments. I'm saying that way is not uh, the way. The right way is this. Come to Christ. Believe that there on the cross he died for you, and then you will be saved. God in his ways, God in his own wisdom, will join you to that death that happened many years ago. Thousands of years you get united to that death. The last part of verse 12, like I said, mentions this. Colossians 2 and verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him from with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So faith is in God who raised Christ from the dead. That's where we place our faith in. Notice this in verse uh, Still verse 12, it says, having, and it's talking about the previous verse, look at verse 11, it says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of, of Christ. Verse 12 is happening because verse 11 needs to happen. So God took care of verse 11 by also doing verse 12. In case that doesn't... Uh, communicate, God decided us to be buried with Christ, to be raised with him, to make our circumcision from the flesh possible. And what the flesh there means is not a physical body, but rather the sinful nature. That's how God, in his wisdom, in infinite wisdom, took care of the flesh. He took it and laid it aside in Christ. The next thing we see is verse 13, actually. Newness of life resulted from the union, made uh, from the union, from this union. So we've been united with Christ, but newness of life resulted. I don't know if you're seeing the wisdom of God in this. Because in this whole business, there's sometimes people say that, uh, why did God allow Adam to sin and then have us go through this route of um, Christ having to die and all these things? Why not just say, Adam, you're forgiven, and then we move on? No, because of the transgression and its impact on human beings. There, when Adam was eating that fruit, didn't know what, what would come out of that. No longer would Adam have his mind reasoned well. Psychologists tell us this. I don't know if you agree with it. But biblically, I think it makes sense. It says, every human being is is not sin. Did you hear? Every human being is not sin. It's the degrees that differ. Now, when they put it like that, it's a bit offensive, right? Biblically, it's this. 
all have done what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, in case you're still kicking around with that first statement, does sin not affect the mind? I think it does. There, there you have it, right? As long as there's sin in the mind, sister, <laughs> brother, we don't reason in our full capacity. One, one missionary says that, that that's the explanation for being down. Sin affecting the mind. Remember when, when Adam is there in the garden, the Lord God brought all the animals to pass before him. Now, notice how powerful the memory must have been. He's naming all the animals, zebra, monkey, all these things. And, and he's just, it's coming from his mind. And if you look at some of the animals, you can agree with the namings of them, right? I mean, what else but a hyena? What name can you put? <laughs> Think about it. Cut, everything just fits, right? Look at the mind that he had. That, that's, that's when, before everything went south. He's naming all those and he doesn't forget. He doesn't go in the, in the garden and remember, what did I name you? I can't remember what I called you. Now, listen, a thousand years later, you have people that have 15 kids. Mulenga, I They're not even too sure whether it's Mulenga or it's somebody else, right? People don't see that. As theologians, we need to do this. That's as a result of the fall. Have you ever tried to do multitasking three or four things? Have you noticed that as soon as you extend that, that you begin to forget on the other things? Particularly those that are not female, right? Sin has impacted us in a very different way to those that are female, right? So you might find the, the way we do things, it's all just agreeing with what Paul says. Everyone has been affected by sin. And sin doesn't end there. It's going to kill us. Sin is going to separate us from God. It has already done that. But sin is going to finally kill us and separate us from God. It says in Revelation 20 that everything that causes evil shall be removed from those that are going to heaven. So here, with that background, we're given newness of life. For our state was hopeless. The reason was no one can save himself. We are dead in our transgressions, and we see human beings transgress. We need to understand. When you see people behaving as sinners, we need to understand. You'd think with, with the cleanup of cities that is going to happen, hopefully it does, that everybody will be on the same page, right? Have you noticed that you try to say, why are you throwing litter around? That you don't get a Christian answer from that. Have you noticed that? That you get, like Paul says, a sinful answer, right? And you might even get um, somebody saying, this is why you Zambians get shocked when you go to Europe, right? For those of you that have traveled around. We're so used to hear that when you go that side, you say, normal. No litter around, everything is in place. Uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday's game. We've recovered, I trust, right? <laughs> After yesterday's game, the opponents in the crowd are picking up litter, right? And I'm told where they come from, it's, it's clean. But our Zambian folks just left like that. They didn't even carry the bottles they were using, right? But here they are, the Japanese are picking up litter and all those things. All this to do with transgression. Our state was really hopeless. 
Ephesians gives us more detail that we are dead in sin and we are following the course of this world and we are following Satan as well. Is, is Satanism just an organized religion? Or Satanism extends even to non-organized religion? Everybody who is not in Christ, everybody who doesn't believe in Christ, atheists or whatever religion they pick, they're actually following who? Satan, right? And they're doing his bidding without them even kicking around. But if you call them Saturdays, they do it. They get upset, right? Listen to what Peter is taught in, in Matthew when, when Peter says, Lord, you're not going to die. He's trying to forbid what this is going to happen. Lord, you're not going to die. And, and he's the only apostle that rebuked the Lord. Can you imagine that? The sinless Lord was rebuked by Peter. After he rebukes him, the Lord turns and says, Get behind me, Satan. Now, the Lord is not being unkind. It's a philosophy behind Peter's reasoning. And this is what he said. He says, For you are concerned about the things of man. Careful now with preachings that is just man-centered. It's about your well-being. It's about wealth, about getting well, and all these things. Now, not, nothing wrong with those things, and God does bless his own. But that's not why Christ came. Christ came, like we're seeing here, to deal with our transgressions, all of them. You may ask the question, why does Christ have to deal with all our transgressions? Why not just the big ones? The reason is this. Sin does multiply. You, you sin once, it, it has a way of growing and multiplying and creating other sins. You started with unbelief, you're ending up with believing the wrong things. You started with unbelief, you're ending up stealing. You started with unbelief, you're ending up sinning in different ways. Sin does actually multiply. The next thing we see from verse 13 is that forgiveness of our sins is a pattern of how we must forgive. So there at Calvary, again we're seeing something very interesting. Our transgressions have been forgiven. Not some of them. All of them, praise the Lord for that. All of them have been forgiven. But that is also a pattern for how we must believe. Look at uh, verse 3, chapter 3 and verse 13. That's what it says. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must do it. Forgive. Notice the patterns. It's how the Lord has forgiven us. We also must do it. Forgive. Now, for us to know the impact of that is we have to look at how the Lord has forgiven us. And we can ask the question, how many transgressions do we have? So to the youngest, we can say they're already hitting the thousands, right? Now, that's a mild statistics that I'm using. The older ones, millions, and then with advanced age is what? Billions and trillions. Now maybe you are saying, <laughs> the reality is this. The, everybody's as sinful as can be, that's true, but we have more opportunity when we are longer on earth. Have you noticed that? So sometimes we need to be careful in terms of or when we want to stay long. We need to get our priorities right, right? Now, there's a blessing in staying long, but also just realize that you have 
scenes of the thought. Now your mind is more complicated, right? You can manufacture all sorts of sin than an infant, right? But equally as sin, this, this is what we see, that uh, this God has forgiven how many of them? All of them. Have you sinned today? Have you sinned yesterday? Are you, are you a non-Christian carrying your sins? My invitation is come to Christ. He forgives all your transgressions and his blood cleanses from all sin. That's my invitation to you if you're a non-Christian, that come to Christ with all the baggage of sin that you have. Bring it and lay it there at Calvary and Christ will forgive you even as you trust in him and trust the work of God. Now, a number of us are like Peter. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, did you say seven times? Peter must have been carrying a tally. One, two, three, four. One, two. Dash to the Lord. Lord, you say it seven times, right? And you can see from how Peter is responding that Peter is just, once he's just given a go ahead, whoever that disciple was, hey, I'm not too sure what will happen. But that's the number of us, right? We've already done what? We've unblocked them. We've, we've, we've deleted their line. Peter at least reached seven. Peter is corrected. He says, it's not actually seven times. It's actually seven times seven or seven, seven times, depending on the versions that, that you may be using. And, and the point there is countless times, just like Christ has done, has forgiven us countless times. We too must do it. Forgive countless times. Now, if, if you read the Bible, you see how different we are from the Lord, right? Remember what Peter says, uh, what, what John writes. He says, go and tell everybody and do it. And tell Peter as well. Says, Peter denied the Lord. Peter is included. Hey, what would we do as a church? Somebody sins. Hey, chapa. Finish. Not so with the Lord, right? In case you're thinking you're very forgiving, no, 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 you're not. Compared to the Lord who forgives all our transgressions and is telling us this is how you need to forgive. And, and you know, uh, growing up, one of the things that that I discovered, I used to think that forgiveness is easy. I've discovered it's not. It's not. Firstly, you're not shielded against hurt, right? We are not shielded against that. Anyone and everyone can do it. Can do it. They can hurt you, right? And the Lord's response is what? Forgive them. A number of us would, would know we are supposed to forgive, but it's in a child. Yes, I hear you, Lord, but this one, no, this we can't forgive, Lord. Hey, consider how the Lord has forgiven you. There's been acknowledgement on your part about transgressions, and so we must do as well when we, we fall into transgressions. But the Lord has done what? Forgiven us not only some sins, forgiven us all our transgressions. And that's the invitation to sinners. Come to Christ. Quit trying to get to heaven on your own. Come to Christ with your sins. If you're not a Christian and not sure, my invitation is bring all those sins that you've done. Christ's love is still greater. Christ's forgiveness is still greater. And he will forgive you and cleanse you.
It says in verse 13, And you were dead in trespasses and circumcision of your flesh. We were not circumcised. What it says, God made us alive. This 117, it talks about He qualified us. In all these things, we are what? We are passive. We've been made alive. We've been qualified by God. All this, we are passive. Remember when we talked about uh, Paul's companion who was a teacher of grace. This is where it leans again. You and me don't do anything to get saved. Even though in our minds we fight so hard to keep ourselves saved, we don't, we don't save ourselves. By His grace, we receive what He has done and we get complete forgiveness of sin. So God made us alive. Peter talks about the same in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, that how that the Father has made us alive by His mercy. When you're doing evangelism, always realize that we are dead. Oh, not we are dead. The world is dead. So when you're preaching to them, they're hearing the English, the grammar, the chiremba, and whatever language we're using. But they're not understanding. Part of our reasoning is we need to be understanding that these are dead in their sin. They don't have understanding uh, because of what I was talking about in terms of um, salvation. Earlier on, Paul talks about how we need to have understanding as believers. That has been granted because we have believed in Christ. So made us alive with him. Our being alive has been with Christ. And he has done what? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Earlier on in the, in the verses that have gone before us, we've seen the magnitude of the wisdom of God. How that Christ has, God has demonstrated in Christ the wisdom of God. This wisdom that surpasses all human philosophies. God has taken care of something that we couldn't take care of. Because of what Christ has done, you can come today and ask for forgiveness of sin. Whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, you can come to God and ask for forgiveness of sin or transgressions. The word that is used there, transgression, is going against, going against the said laws of God. And Christ has forgiven us at that. Those are the two verses that we have been dealing with. And in conclusion, let me say this. In the wisdom of God, God that, that was displayed at Calvary, our sinful nature, praise be to God, has been set aside. It will finally be clearly removed from us when glorification happens, when we see Christ, First John 3 verse uh, 3, when we see Christ, we shall be like Him in His righteousness. Our sin shall be removed completely. Also, we see that apart from our sin being set aside, the sinful nature being set aside, transgressions have been forgiven, all of them. We also see that the powers of darkness have been disarmed. In fact, a number of Christians do misrepresent the powers of darkness. We, we, we think these are just, we can just buy some boot and stamp them all over again. It had to take Christ to disarm them. That's how come they can't freely cause us harm. Now, that's not to say that Christians can't fall into a place where they're having deals with the enemy. They can do that. 
and they can suffer some consequences, not eternal, for, for like that. Paul talks about in Ephesians how that our anger can be like a foothold that gives the enemy, and, and all he needs is just a little space, and chaos happens, right? That, that's all he needs. Here it says in, in verse uh, 14, by cancelling the record of debt stood against us and his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. If you and me could overcome the enemy on our own, God wouldn't have gone to this length. God went to this length having considered all the aspects of salvation that needed to be taken care of, including uh, the powers of darkness. Everything we couldn't do, God did, and faith, is, faith in him is what brings us these benefits of Calvary right to our doorsteps. So I conclude, if you're a Christian, you have been united with Christ. You've died with him. There's no need for you to continue living as though you're still dead in your transgressions. Now you have newness of life, which can spur you on to live the way you ought to live. If you're a non-Christian, this has not happened to you. You're still dead in your transgressions and sin. While you might think you're in control of all aspects of life, this aspect, this spiritual aspect, you have no power against it. And finally, it will lead you and cast you into the deepest of hell if you don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. May we have faith in Jesus Christ, even as we trust in what he has done, uh, accomplishing many things for us. God bless his word. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the word that has come to our hearing.